want to grab your Bible, you can go to Psalm 13 is where we're going to be. We spent a lot of time in the Psalms this morning. Uh, Psalm 13 is where we're going to be today. As you're turning there, I would like to thank our worship team who um, gives of their time, talent, ability to not just play music for us, but to lead us into worship, to help us to slow down and to focus uh, on God to give him glory and adoration and love and uh, I'm just so thankful for our team and the talents that they have and uh, really the whole team that works together. It's uh, led by one of our elders, Daniel, but but also um, Reed and Matt, um, Chris, uh, Sarah Rico, uh, who else am I forgetting? Michael. Um, basically throw a rock at a Rico and they probably play in the worship band. Um, so thank you everybody for uh, loving and giving. Thank you worship team. If you have uh, want to be involved in our worship ministry, uh, we'd love to have that conversation with you. Again, you can use those connect cards I talked about and uh, Daniel will get in touch with you about uh, getting you some time up here to play and sing. Um, so thank you again. Um, so we're going to be in Psalm 13 this morning. We're in kind of a weird spot preaching calendar wise. When I'm on top of things, I tend to try, at least in pencil, plan uh, roughly 6 to 12 months worth of preaching out, um, just to, to get a general idea of where we're going to be going. Um, we just got done with the almost nine-month-long series in the book of Acts, and then uh, last week, Daniel preached, um, and if you, you missed that, as always, Daniel very thoughtfully uh, and, and lovingly encouraged and challenged us as he preached from John 15. If you didn't check that out, you can find it on our website. Um, and so we're a few weeks away from Easter, and then we have, uh, after Easter, we're going to start the book of Jonah together, which I'm pretty excited about. But so we have this week, which is kind of this in-between week. And so as I thought about us as a church, as I thought about us uh, as a group, as individuals within our church, and, and some of the things we're wrestling with and struggling with, uh, as well as the fact that we're in this season of Lent, right? This this season built into the church calendar that's focused on letting go of things and, and reanalyzing what, what are the priorities in our life? What are the things that are driving us? What are the things that we focus on? And, and letting go of some things to engage more with God. All of that led me to the Psalms, uh, and specifically Psalm 13, which is where we're going to be this morning. Um, it was said to me this week, it's, it's kind of a heavy psalm, and it is. Uh, it's written by David, and we don't know. It's one of the ones where we don't know the actual events or situation that led to him writing this psalm, which I think actually, as we go through it, gives us a little more freedom to engage with it and to connect with it. What we're going to find out very quickly is that David is in the weeds of hardship. He's in the weeds of exhaustion and frustration, and he's desperate. And he's really just kind of generally burnt out on life. And the psalm breaks down into three distinct sections. It's only six verses long, um, which is a far cry for those of you who have been around for the last couple of months. It's a far cry from what we've been doing in Acts, where we're doing 30 and 40 verses at a time. We got six this morning, but don't worry, I will still go long. So it's fine. Everything's fine. Nothing's going to change. Um, so we have six verses broken down, two verses in each section. And so I have a word for us to kind of guide uh, and direct that time. And so it's de desperation, communication, and adoration. Those are kind of our three anchors to get us through this psalm. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll jump in and get to work. So please bow your heads and uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this chance for us to to gather and to celebrate you and to engage with you and hear from you and to be with 
each other, but more importantly, to be with each other at a time and a place that you have set apart for us to worship you. God, we come this morning for a variety of reasons. We're here having had a variety of mornings, a variety of years already in this 2023. But we come this morning all with the goal of engaging with you. You tell us throughout your scriptures, if we come looking, we will find you. If we come knocking, we will, you will open the door. Well, God, this morning we are looking, we are knocking, we are seeking after you. So God, help us, regardless of how we entered into this place, regardless of what we have going on personally, help us to slow down and to hear from you this morning, to engage with you and to allow your word to do what it does in our hearts and minds, to encourage us, to challenge us when necessary to rebuke us and to call us to pursue you deeper and deeper. God, we pray for Grace Place and for our kids' ministry upstairs. Lord, we pray uh, for the leaders. We thank you for them, Lord, and we pray that you would give them an extra dose this morning of patience, of encouragement, of excitement, uh, and of joy as they get to teach and lead and guide the, the children of our church. Lord, we pray that you would save those kids at an early age, that they would walk with you for a long, long time. Lord, I pray that as they are upstairs learning about you, God, that they would see in the way that they are taught, in the way they are shown where, shown you through Scripture, God, that you would reveal yourself to them, even in the way that the leaders and the rest of us as we interact and we worship with them, that the way that we interact with them reflects you and points them toward you. God, help us this morning as we open your word. I pray that as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. All right, Psalm 13. So every day is a good day to have your Bibles open, and today is one of those days. So Psalm 13, um, there should be a bookmark in the Bibles around you, and if not, you can just kind of open to the middle. You're looking for Psalm and then uh, Psalm 13. So I'll read it once, and then we'll kind of go through in those three sections. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So like I said, we have three distinct sections. So the first two verses, verses one and two, um, I said that the word that I kind of used to, to describe this is desperation. David is desperate. He is frustrated by the situation. The repeated question in these first two verses is, how long, O Lord? It is a regular question of the Jewish people throughout the Old Testament. How long, O Lord, will we remain captives? How long, O Lord, will we be in exile? How long, O Lord, will we be oppressed? How long, O Lord, until the Messiah comes to free us? God's timing can be hard for us to consider and truly wrap our minds around. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 3.8. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God is the creator of time, meaning he is outside of it. He is not affected by it. And his perception of our existence, we can never fully grasp when it comes to time. 
which means when we say, how long, O Lord? When we ask, are you coming soon, God? We need to realize that our view of time and God's view of time are not the same. It always strikes me as I read through the Gospels that for everywhere Jesus goes, for all he does in his three years of ministry, and he had this end goal in mind, right? He, has to, he wants to get to Jerusalem by the Passover at this time. With everything going on, Jesus is never rushing. He's never running anywhere. Anytime in the Gospels, he's always walking. He's, he's taking time. He's spending time. He lets himself seemingly get distracted. The one time you can make an argument that he is late to something is when Lazarus dies. But even that, he intentionally stayed behind and let Lazarus die so that he could resurrect his friend and teach people about the power of God over death. We say it often here. God doesn't waste time, his or yours. David asks, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? When life gets to be too much, too hard, too exhausting, we may feel like God has forgotten us. That he made us, he, he formed us in his own image, but then he left us here to figure it out on our own. We call out, we reach out, and we feel abandoned. It's the nature of trials and hardships and the reality of living in a broken world. That when we are in the midst of difficult situations, difficult circumstances, it feels like it's never going to end. How long, God, how long do I have to deal with this? It feels like we're stuck and trapped forever. When on the contrary, the good days, right, the fun seasons, those ones where it's easy and breezy, they feel like a blink and you've missed it situation, right? How many of you realize, wow, the weekend is almost over and we compare how quick Saturday and Sunday goes to like a random Wednesday that just seems to drag on forever. God didn't forget David. He hasn't forgotten you. He didn't hide his face from David and he hasn't hid his face from you. But I know it can feel that way. The pain of suffering can be so great that we are blinded to everything else, including what is going on right in front of us. The prophet Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 49. He says, can a woman, God speaking through the prophet says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God says, I could never forget you. You are engraved on the palms of my hands. You are an ever-present reminder. We are before God on his mind at all times. I think if Jesus was the one speaking here, he would have said to the prophets, say this to them, you are scarred on my wrists. You're a permanent reminder. You're in front of me all the time. No, you aren't forgotten. Yes, you might be overwhelmed. You might be distraught and even depressed. You might be at the end of your rope, but I promise you're not forgotten. He's not hiding from you. No, he sees you. He sees you right where you are. That's actually who he is. In Genesis, we're told he is El Roy, the God who sees. He sees the hurt. He sees the pain. He sees the frustration and the suffering. He sees it. He is paying attention, and he is with you. Just because you can't see him doesn't mean he isn't there. But it's no wonder that David feels this way because in verse 2 it says he is taking counsel in his soul and his sorrow in his heart all the day. He's considered and dwelt on his situation and then has produced nothing but sorrow and pain. 
He is more and more sorrowful as each day passes. It causes him to dwell in it more and more, lead to more sorrow and pain. He's sad and angry and frustrated. And as he thinks about his situation and how sad and angry and frustrated he gets, he gets more and more of the same. He is the human embodiment of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Everything is the worst all the time. And when he considers the hardness of life, it just makes everything seem a little bit worse. Sadness, mourning, confusion, questioning, depression. These things are not sins. So many people in these last few years especially have battled or are battling with depression, with isolation, with mental, spiritual, emotional exhaustion. It's not a sin. God doesn't think any less of you, and you do not have to wait till everything is sunshine and rainbows and happy before you approach God again. No, God says, come as you are to me. I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you, and if needed, I will carry you. Just come because I've got you. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's okay to feel your feelings. It's okay to pray those feelings. This right here, these verses where David is questioning the presence of God in his life is recorded in the eternal living, breathing word of God forever. God chose to include these words, these emotions into the Bible for a reason. And this isn't the only psalm that does it. David isn't in trouble for feeling this way. He's not scolded or kicked out of the community because he's depressed. No, he feels what he feels, and it hurts, and it's okay to feel those things. Don't bottle it up and try to ignore it. Reach out and get help. And if you aren't in that spot, if things are sunshine and rainbows and happy, cool. Be a friend. Be a resource. Don't be a hindrance or stumbling block for somebody who's just having trouble getting off the couch in the morning. Check on each other. Be intentional with one another. Be a safe space for your brothers and sisters. Be present. Because like I said, here's the great thing about the Psalms. They show us this roller coaster of emotion. Where David and the other Psalm writers will write, I feel good, I'm connected, oh Lord, how great you are, to I feel low, I'm exhausted, God, where are you? Up and down. And that's pretty much what it means to be human. Look, if you're battling with something, if you're struggling with depression, with sorrow, even if you don't want to use those words and you think, well, I'm just prolonged in a prolonged sadness, whatever you want to call it, tell somebody. Call somebody. Get some help. It is not weakness to ask for help. Share it. You don't have to walk through those things alone. David is suffering, clearly. We've all experienced that at times, different seasons of suffering to varying degrees. But what the Christian knows what we can embrace is that all of life has purpose and plan to it, even the suffering. As Paul reminds us in Romans 5, verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Even your suffering, even your sadness, even your heartache can be used by God to produce in us a strength of soul and character that reassures and builds up our confident expectation of who God is and what he has done and will continue to do in our world. Suffering, hardship, pain, these things are not the result of some random cosmic bad luck. 
or the universe trying to balance out the forces. It's not random and happenstance. Everything has purpose and reason to it. All of our life, good and bad, can and will be used to glorify God. Does that take the sting out of things? No, not all the time. But it does help us to remember there is a purpose to this. And we are not alone and we can continue to take another step forward because God is with us. Now David is spiraling in his own head. And on top of that, it seems like the bad guys keep winning. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? How long will I suffer at their hands? God, every time I try to take a step, it feels like I get knocked two back. That person, they lie. That other one, they cheat. This person isn't as good at their job as I am, and yet they keep getting promoted. It keeps, bad keeps winning. Bad keeps, evil keeps getting away with it. Corruption runs rampant. Evil abounds. Nice guys finish last. Selfishness is rewarded. Self-righteousness is propped up as a virtue. Our economic system is built on covetousness. Everywhere I look, it feels like evil is only growing and thriving. And when we focus on just the right now, when we allow this tunnel vision that develops because of the 24-hour news cycle and the constant connection of technology, and we let that control and disciple us, it can feel like there is no reprieve from the ugliness of this world, which then feels overwhelming and sends us only deeper into the spiral we've already created in our heads. See, don't tell me that the Bible can't speak to today because these first two verses themselves speak deeply to the human condition and living in Chicago in the year 2023. So what do we do? How do we deal with this? We had David in his desperation leads us to the second section, which is verses three and four, communication. In the midst of a season of depression and frustration, David does what guys tend to do, we hear that there's a problem, we immediately go into let's fix it mode. His action is not to hide, not to ignore or avoid something, which is what I tend to do. When I get overwhelmed, when I get sad, when I get depressed, I tend to just try and shut the world out. But instead, he does what he engages in the most powerful thing he can do. He goes to God in prayer. And he prays in verses 3 and 4, three things. He asks God, he says, consider me, answer me, light up my eyes. David felt like God was forgetting and ignoring him. And because of that, he felt like his very life and energy was being depleted. Instead of sitting in this idea, he prays and asks God, consider me, look at me, see me in this state, God. And when you see me, when you hear me, God, answer me. God, I need you to step in because I'm at death's door. My enemy and foes are around the bend, ready to pounce. David may have killed his share of bears and lions. He may have slayed him a giant, but he knew where the real power and protection and providence is found in the presence of God. And it's good that he prayed. It's good that he lifted his voice. But more important than that is to the who that he directs his prayers, and that's to God. As David himself writes in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in spirits. Some trust in vague spirituality. Some trust in experience. Some trust in their bank accounts. Some trust in people and relationships. Some trust in being nice. Some trust in cosmic karma. Some trust in a political power or person. Some trust in, well, that's the way it's always been. Who can change it? We have lots of things we can trust in. When the pain, when the chaos, when the hardship of life comes crashing down on you, what do you trust in? 
What do you run to? Where do you find your comfort? Where do you find your hope? For the Christian, we have a relationship and access to God through Jesus that allows us, as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can go with confidence to God's throne through access through Jesus. Or as we saw as Daniel preached in John 15, 15, it says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. We are friends, we are children, we are loved, we are welcomed, we are the family of God, and with that have an access to him. Prayer is not only a vital component of growth in our spiritual lives, but it is a power and a privilege. There's an old hymn written by Oswald Allen called, Today the Mercy Calls Me. It ends with this, the last line of the hymn says, When all things seem against us to drive us to despair, we know that one gate is open, one ear will hear our prayer. For those of you who have been around who are members, longtime members of CF, why do you think that over the last six or eight months there have been more people who have come through our doors and visited this church in the last six to eight months than probably in the last six years that have lived in our neighborhood? Why? Because we're putting boots on the ground praying for Roscoe Village and God is showing up. You have an access and a power available to you just waiting within you. You have a power and a availability and a presence and a privilege to get to go before God and lift up your voice and lift up your concerns and lift up your worries and your doubts and your fears and your hopes. And he hears you and he responds to you. Friday, April 14th, 7 o'clock, we're going to be here at the church. Come and lean into that access and power. And let me tell you, I've been talking, John and David are putting this thing together, and let me tell you, this is not going to be a one-off random thing because they are both very passionate about wanting to see us grow and step into the power that God has for us in prayer. It's going to be a time where we get to get together, and it's not super structured. We want to give freedom and space to say, what's God doing in our hearts, and let's cry out to God together. In the psalm, David prays to God. He says, consider me, answer me, hear me, and lift, light up my eyes. Light up my eyes. Give me life. I feel so beat up. I feel so burnt out. I feel like I'm dying. God, restore my soul. God, restore my strength. God, restore me, lest the sleep of death consume me. Whether he's talking about a spiritual or physical death or both, David feels the weight of his situation crushing him. Isaiah speaks to this idea in both Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 60. Paul writes similarly in Ephesians 5.14. This idea that we need to be awoken by God. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. God, wake us up. God, shine your light on me. Light up my eyes, God. Give me strength, and let me see what you see. Let me see what's really going on here. Right? We always want to know, what, what is God doing? How could he possibly be using this situation, these hardships, this pain for his glory and our good? We want to see how all the puzzle pieces fit together, how it makes sense. And truth be told, oftentimes we don't get to. Often we see as much as God allows us and we have to be okay with that. We have to be able to trust that God knows what he's doing even when we can't see how it all makes sense. David's motivation, his desire in this prayer is not only for himself, and his own preservation. 
He asked that God would consider and answer and light up his eyes, not only for himself, but for the name of God as well. Throughout the Psalms, David writes often about his very real awareness, about the very realness of our enemy, Satan. And so what he's saying here in verse 4 is, God, I need you to show up and answer and restore me because my enemy and foes are very real and they are on the move. For many of us, I think about when we hear about enemies and foes, it can feel like a distant concept, right? We aren't warriors like David was. We aren't in a monarchy. We aren't superheroes with an arch nemesis. But as Christians, we do have a very real enemy in Satan who is very active in this world. He's real. Hell is real. Demons are real. There is a perpetual spiritual battle happening. And beyond him, we have conflict in our lives. We have people in our lives that who we know and we just don't get along with. We are at odds with. We're at opposition with. Whether it's at work, in your family, your neighbors, whoever it is, we have people that you just can't get along with. And on top of all that, we carry a weight and responsibility. David knew it. David felt it. He was God's anointed. He was the man after God's own heart. He was the uniter of Israel. He was the warrior king who had victory after victory after victory given to him by God. For David to be defeated, for David to be prevailed over would be a big deal. And he knew that. And he knew that his people, that God's people wouldn't hear the end of it. His enemies would rejoice, literally shout as triumph of the victory over God's chosen. Sometimes, you know, I am the kind of person I hate to lose. And sometimes worse than losing at something is the bragging and boasting that the victor does. My dad is one of those people who's just good at everything. And we go golfing, and he's one of those, especially golf and, and things like that. And playing games with my dad, growing up, he wasn't that hard on me. And then I got to a certain point in, in, in the teen years, probably when I started to talk back a little more. Where he wouldn't just beat me, but he'd let me know that he beat me. And he still does it today. We'll play golf, and, and it'll just be a look. It'll be a quiet thing. But I hear it. And losing, whatever, I lose. But it's when you hear the winner take their victory lap. It almost feels a little bit worse. Only this isn't a game that David's talking about here. The reputation that is at stake is that of God's. David's prayer is, God, pay attention. God, respond. God, strengthen me, not only for my own well-being, but for your name, God. For the reputation, for the renown of the creator of all existence, God, help me go forward. He's not trying to manipulate God, but rather he's just being honest. We talk about it every week here, how God has made us, has made Christians the light of the world, that we are to shine and point people to God. And when we do that, when things are good and easy and fun, that's great, that's good, that's awesome, amen. But how much brighter does a light shine in the darkness? in the hard and the messy and the ugly, if we as God's people can take that as an opportunity to glorify God, even when it's hard, even when it's messy, even when we can't see the next step, how great does the name of God be magnified? It's easy to celebrate and rejoice and enjoy God when things are good, when things are easy, when things are fun and going the way we want them to. But in the dark days, the hard days, the days we feel alone and overwhelmed and trapped and attacked, when we can still trust in God, that the re that's when the realness of our faith is shown to the world. That is the mark of a maturing Christian, to be able to know that even when the clouds and storms cover everything, to trust and know that the sun is still shining on the other side of that storm. 
to be able to rest in the reality to know that yes it's dark yes it's foggy yes it's hard and exhausting but i know that even if the clouds don't break even if i have to sit through this longer and longer i know i'm not alone just because i can't see the sun doesn't mean it isn't shining just because i can't feel its warmth in this moment doesn't mean it isn't there Just because I think and feel like God is somehow hidden or obstructed does not mean that he is not paying attention and intimately involved in our world. It's precisely in those times and moments when we need to be able to trust, rest, abide, and dwell in who we know God is. And that takes us to verses 5 and 6. We had desperation, we had communication, and we finish in adoration. Because in the midst of the chaos and ugliness and pain and suffering David is enduring, he makes a decision. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He is going to trust in the steadfast love of God. Notice it's I have trusted. That's past tense. That's I've already done this thing. Yes, I feel lost. Yes, I feel alone. Yes, my enemies encroach around me. Yes, I feel abandoned. But I trust you, God. When you look at these last two verses, there is this change, this resolve in David, right? Trusted in love, rejoicing, singing. Clearly, David has changed his viewpoint. But you know what hasn't changed? His situation. Whatever the event or circumstances he was dealing with that set all of this off, whatever enemies that were approaching, none of that's gone. None of that is over. He's still in it. What's changed is David. Because he went to God in prayer. Because he sought out God. When it was hard and dark and lonely, David cried out. He cried out to the one true living God, creator and sustainer of all existence, and decided to place his trust and hope in him. He trusted in God. He trusted in the steadfast love of God. Steadfast love, that's the word hesed in the, in the Old Testament. Most often it's translated mercy, but it's a bigger word than that. It's, it's kindness, it's faithfulness. My, my, you guys have heard me say it. My favorite translation is loyal love. It's the way God relates to us. Loyal love, kind love, faithful love. I said it earlier, there's lots of things in this world that you can trust in. The world has no shortage of objects, concepts, ideas to trust in. Better than all of them, as sure as the sun rising in the morning, we can trust in the steadfast love of the Lord. We can trust in the mercy of God. Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Whereas the song says, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. There is always more grace, always more mercy, always more love, more hope, more of God to be had, to engage with. David says, I have trusted, and so I will rejoice in your your salvation. I will shout with triumph because of the salvation of God. I will shout with triumph because God brings beauty from ashes. Because there is, when there is weeping in the night, joy comes in the sunrise of another day. Though we may be in sackcloth and mourning right now, God brings and turns that into dancing and gladness. I will rejoice because no matter how dark the pain, the hurt, the hard, the exhausting, a better day is coming. The day of salvation is coming. We rejoice now in knowing that for the person who has put their faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, 
Hope has been granted. Grace has been granted. Mercy, forgiveness has been granted. We live now rejoicing in that. But even still to come is something better. Still to come is the presence of God. Still to come is the full experience of what our salvation means. It is the absence of sin. Still to come, we will want for nothing, need for nothing, depend, rely, and rest in the provision and presence of God. Still to come is eternity with him. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Eternity with God. We can rejoice because we know God saves. He has saved us from the greatest enemies of Satan and sin, saved us from the real actual separation from God, saved us from real actual silence of God in hell. He sees us. He hears us. He strengthens us with his strength and power and spirit. We rejoice in the salvation we experience here and now and what is waiting for us in heaven. David is trusted, and so he will rejoice and he will sing to the Lord. I will sing, I will rejoice, I will praise, I will enjoy, I will worship. Again, his situation hasn't changed, but he's resolved to say, I'm still going to worship because he has dealt bountifully with me. Still in the midst of a hardship, David can look around and say, God has dealt bountifully with me. He has embraced who God is. He has remembered who God is. David knows that even though in this instance, things seem so ugly, when he considers how God has shown up, He says, I will sing and I will celebrate God because in the past leading up into this moment, he has dealt bountifully with me and he will continue to. He has dealt kindly with me, generous to me. He has cared for me. Has God been kind to you? Has he been gracious to you? Has he been merciful to you? It might seem hard. If you are in the midst of a storm, it might be hard to see it now. But think over the course of your life, everything leading up to this moment. Consider how God has shown up. Consider how God made a way when there was no way. Consider how God has shown up when you didn't deserve it. When the Holy Spirit showed up and he pushed aside all the barriers, all the excuses, all the nonsense to the side. And he softened your heart to the message of grace and forgiveness and mercy and hope of the gospel. When that day when you heard it, from that moment when it clicked, when the Holy Spirit finally said, no, your sins have been paid for. There is a Savior, there is a God who made you and knows you and loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. And that moment where it was real for you, how bountiful is the love of God. Christian, he has dealt bountifully with you by being patient enough to give you that next day so that you could hear the gospel and respond. He has been gracious and merciful to save you from his wrath that you deserve for your sin. And if you aren't a Christian, if you haven't put your faith in Christ and him alone, today God's kindness, his bounty is being made apparent to you because if today, right in this moment, you would admit your need for a savior, admit your need of help, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins in your place and choose for him to be your Lord and savior, you can experience the bountiful goodness, kindness, grace, mercy, love, peace, rest, hope offered to you by God. It's available for you right now in this moment. Today can be that day for you. We live in a world where we see anger and frustration and lament and sadness and depression. We experience all of those things, sometimes all at once, sometimes one after the other. Again, I want to say to you, it's not a sin to feel the things you feel, to experience these things. You want to call out to God and say, God, where are you? Do it. 
You want to call out to God and say, God, I don't understand what you're doing. This is hard, and I don't know why, and it doesn't make sense. Do it. You can feel these things. You can express these things. It's okay. It's part of being human. You can feel those things, and it's not a sin. And it doesn't change how God thinks about you or feels about you. You can feel your feelings. Just don't stay there. Don't linger there. Right? David progresses. He starts in frustration and desperation. He moves on to prayer in response to that frustration and that desperation. And it leads him to remember and rejoice and rest in who God is and what he has done and what God promises to do. We've learned it over and over if you've been with us as we look through the book of Acts. And I'm sure you've probably learned it firsthand in your own life. Christianity does not protect you from the evils of this world. It does not protect you from the chaos. But it can be an anchor in the storm. It can be a help. It can renew and restore and revitalize and reinvigorate you to see that as everything else falls apart in this world, what doesn't change, what doesn't fade, what doesn't fail is God and his word. Trust in the steadfast mercy of the loyal love of God. Rejoice in the salvation offered to you through Jesus and the saving that God is doing every day to restore and renew all things. Sing and celebrate and rejoice in who God is, what he has done, what he is doing and what he will do. And we know he will still move because he's done it before. You can ask hard questions. You can pray real desperate prayers because you have an active, involved, loving God in control of all things at all times. He is for you and not against you. He made you and knows you and loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. Trust in his steadfast love. Rejoice in his salvation. Sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for, God, we thank you for the Psalms and we thank you for the realness of them. God, we thank you that you have allowed these things to be recorded, that they are your word to us, that they speak and reveal you to us. They remind us it's okay to question, it's okay to worry, it's okay to doubt, and, and why you don't want us to feel those things. We feel them, and we can allow them to drive us closer to you. God, help us to feel our feelings, because sometimes... We think that it's easier not to when it's just not true. But God, as we do that, as we walk through these things, as we endure hardships and darkness and storms, God, I pray that you would remind us we have an anchor. Remind us we have a steadiness, a, a comfort in you, in your word, in the access we have to you in prayer, in the fellowship we have in the community that you have given to us to be able to not have to walk through this life alone, but to do it with brothers and sisters. God, help us when we are overwhelmed by the world around us. Help us to remember. Help us to remember how you have moved over and over again in big and small ways. Help us to remember how you have shaped and changed and moved and just been with us. The amount of times we can look back and we can see that you were there and things happened and it didn't make sense at the time, but we can look and see how you were glorified through it. And God, there are times where we look back and we still don't understand. We still don't see it. When we have those moments, when we have those seasons, 
God, I pray that you would help us to trust in you, to trust in what we know of you, of your goodness, your kindness, your love, your justice, your mercy, who you are, and to trust that you know best and are at work. God, you have made us to be the lights of the world. Help us to shine brightly in the darkness. Help us to shine and point people to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.